Amen. Thank you. I think Phil should be a comedian. Don't you think? He'll be, he'll be a brilliant comedian. So funny. Thank you so much for having us this morning to come here at Junction 10. I must say that yesterday, last, last evening, we spent uh, some time with some of your leaders and some of your uh, members of the church, and it was lovely. We felt like we were at home. You guys are incredibly blessed to have one another as a, fam as a church family. You are incredibly blessed to have leaders who not only just care about the, about the looks of things, but leaders who genuinely care about its members. That's a very rare thing, and you should always celebrate that. You should always thank God for that, because of in this day and age, it is easy to have leaders who are just so obsessed with themselves, they tend to forget what it is that God has called them to do in the first place, and that is to look after his people. And I was, we were just so blessed to, to hang out with some of you last night. And, you know, last night as we were sitting having a meal, together with some of them it went it crossed my mind a few times and I kept asking the Lord this Lord is this really what you want me to talk about is there something else you might perhaps want me to talk about and I kept praying and said I'm happy to I'm happy to change the talk Lord if that's what you want me to do but the Lord just literally reminded me yesterday as we were sitting at the meal at the dinner table you know Jean is Jean around here somewhere there, there is the lovely Jean you know, we were, we were having a conversation and Jean said something that really struck me really hard. It really hit me really hard. And she said, everybody needs a word. Everybody needs a word. That will make sense as I go through the talk. And that's when the Lord just went, boof, no, no, I want you to talk about what I put in your heart to talk about and it isn't isn't it amazing that God can use moments of hospitality that God can use moments of or moments we don't even consider to be in any way shape or form significant just having a meal just having a dinner and God just infiltrated that very simple common thing he comes into that space which we see as a normal thing to do he comes and he takes over and then he's present through normal simple conversation so Junction 10, I, Junction 10, I pray that you would continue to be that. You would continue to be that. Like, use hospitality. Have each other around your dinner tables. Talk, just invite each other in, in each other's homes and just make, make it a habit because of God likes to come into what we consider normal and use it to speak profoundly and change lives at the dinner table. I said previously in, my, in, 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 in our church a few weeks ago, I said that, you know, your dinner table is as powerful as any other sermon you've ever had. God can use your dinner table in a very profound way to speak really profound truths. And that's what I found yesterday when we were sitting with your leaders. And I just want to say, that's amazing. You are, you are, so, you are so, so blessed. So, anyway, without any waste of time. I had, um, you guys have been going through, I just thought I would just put that out there just to, to express how blessed you guys are to have one another and to have the kind of leaders that God has blessed you with. I had that you guys as a church have been going through the series called the Discipleship Series. And um, I had the privilege of listening to some of the talks that were available online that I could find. And I had, you had the guy called David Bowden who kicked off your series about discipleship. And, and, and in his talk, he said something which I found really profound, which I found really quite meaningful. He says, the purpose of discipleship is that we walk with Jesus until we look like him. He said the point of discipleship is that we walk with Jesus until we look like him. 
And I thought like him, what a brilliant series to start off a year with, looking at discipleship. How not only do you do life as you walk to look like Jesus, but do that life alongside others. Because of there is an anointing that is available to us when we do life with one another by welcoming, by letting each other into each other's lives. There's something deep and meaningful. And that is how discipleships look like. This is what the disciples are doing with Jesus. They are walking with him. And as they are walking with him, they are getting into, they are, they are getting to see him in the light that not many people get to see him. He does life with them. And God blesses that kind of relationship. So what a brilliant series for you guys to start on. The whole looking at the whole thing of discipleship. And today, even though I've been given a wild card on the talk that I could do today by your leaders, I have decided just through prayer and thinking, I've decided that I'll, pro I'll probably continue on the same vein, if you like, and talk about what, talk about discipleship. So if David Bowden's talk was walking, if uh, uh, David Bowden's talk was, we walk with Jesus until we look like him, I want to take that a little bit further and say, it's not only until we look like him, but it's until we sound like him as well. We walk with Jesus until we look like him, as David Bowden said, and it's also we walk with Jesus until we sound like him. Because of, let me tell you something, words are powerful. Words are powerful. So we're going to be looking today at the whole subject of, oh, I've got some power, I've got some, uh, some um, slides there and we had a bit of a palaver with the slides and the lovely um ah, the lovely Millie helped me out with my slides because of my computer decided it was going to play up and she's helped me up i've sent them in a form of pictures and she did a brilliant job thank you Millie, wherever she is god bless you thank you so as i said david bowden said we are looking at walking with jesus until we look like him and i'm continuing on that same vein i'm saying we are walking with jesus until we look like and sound like him we are looking at the whole idea of speech because of i believe that speech words our confessions are incredibly powerful in the passage that we have read today in the passage that we have read today I find it quite interesting, don't you agree, that Jesus asks his disciples two questions. The first question is, he's saying to them, who do people say I am? Who do people say I am? Have you noticed that in this passage, they are incredibly quick to reply as to who Jesus is to others? They are very, they are almost quick to reply because of when you read it, it said, and they replied and said, some says you are Elijah, some say you are Moses, and some says you are perhaps one of the prophets. They all have these quick answers as to who Jesus is to other people. But I also, I find it very interesting that when he asks the second question, after, I can sort of imagine Jesus sort of like being quiet, listening to them throw, throw these answers to him. It, 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 because it says, they replied. That is plural. That is not just one of them. It's they, which means many. So they had a lot of answers for who Jesus was to, for who Jesus was to others. But then Jesus, I sort of like when I was preparing this, I sort of imagined Jesus in this space, listening to them talk and being very thoughtful. And he said, well, that's okay, but who do you say I am? Who, who do you say I am? I know you've got the answer as to who I am to other people, but who am I to you? Isn't it interesting how quickly they were to respond to who Jesus was to others and somehow not have an answer as to who he was to them? I find that quite interesting. 
I mean, these guys, they have walked with Jesus. They have walked, they have walked with Jesus for so long. Leading up to this point, these dudes had Jesus give the sermon on the mount. They saw Jesus deliver the possessed man. They saw Jesus heal the blind and the mute. They saw Jesus heal the 5,000. They saw him walk on water and raise a girl from the dead. But when Jesus asked them the question as to who he was to them, only Peter has an answer. How? How do you witness so much of Jesus? How do you spend so much time with him and not have an answer as to who he is to you, but find it easy to answer who he is to others? Well, some say you are Elijah. Well, some say you are Moses. Some say you could be possibly one of the dudes that opened the Red Sea. They all have all these answers as to who Jesus was to other people and somehow, and somehow, and somehow not have an answer as to who he was to them. I found myself asking myself this question. What would have my answer been to Jesus had he asked me that question? What would be my reply? What would, I have, re what would have been my reply? Is it possible that sometimes we can walk with Jesus and along our walk, we can believe other, people, other people's stories as to who Jesus is to them and somehow doubt who he is to us? Is it possible that we can believe other people's testimonies of what Jesus has done in them and somehow doubt, fail, or not even see what Jesus has done in our lives? Is it possible to believe other people's prayers over our own prayer? Is it possible to believe that Jesus can do it in others but somehow fail to know or miss the point that he can also do it in our own lives? The first question was quite important, but the second question was quite revealing. The first question was quite important, but the second one was quite revealing. Because of the second question, it was personal. It was what was going on in here. It was what was going on in my head. It was my story with Jesus. It was my story. Are you quick? Are you too quick to respond to the goodness of God that you see in others and somehow miss or fail to see it in your own life? Because I want to tell you something this morning, that the very same God that you quickly notice doing things in other people, he's also doing stuff in your own life. The question is, are you able to notice it? Are you able to see it? Can you see that the very same God who is doing the good in others, he is also doing the same thing in you? Is it possible I know who he is to others and miss to see who he is to me? <clears throat> now, Peter's word, Peter's reply is quite interesting, is the one I also would like us to look at. 
Jesus answer, the way Jesus the way the way Jesus answers Peter the interaction there between Jesus and Peter is very interesting because of Peter replied well you are the Messiah and Jesus says to Peter well upon this rock I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will be able to prevail against it and now it is very important to understand that in this passage particularly in verse number 18 that Jesus is playing with words there there's a word play involved which is quite important for us to um, for us to understand Jesus takes Peter's word of who he is to him and says upon this rock I will build my church God uses Peter's revelation his confession his own words and he says upon this I will build my church there is a play of words here because of we know that the word Peter means rock and Jesus also says, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, there, are, there, is, a, there is a theological debate around this passage, particularly verse 18, where Jesus said, I tell you, when he said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, the question arises whether Jesus meant upon Peter, upon Peter the disciple, or upon Peter's words where he was going to build his church upon. So the play of words come in a form that the word Peter, it means rock. You are Peter, you are the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and not the gates of hell will be able to prevail against it. Because if you look at the text very carefully, he doesn't say upon you, he says upon the rock, playing on the meaning of his words and playing on his name. So there is a, do, do, do you get what I'm trying to say there? Does it make any sense what, I, what I'm trying to say there? So some theologians argue, they argue that there is a, it's, it's a, it's an all massive theological debate that is going on. It says, did he mean upon Peter the person or did he mean upon Peter uh, or upon Peter's ways? And some theologians argue that it meant, they meant that he was saying this about Peter, saying, upon you, Peter, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And they point us to the book of Acts, particularly chapter 2, where after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God uses Peter. Peter, he speaks the very first sermon after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, where he says, well, even death could not hold him. Even death could not hold him. Repent for you, you, you died. He died for all of your sins. And they point us to, 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 to the events in the book of Acts after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as evidence as to what, as to Jesus, uh, as evidence that Jesus said upon this rock as in upon Peter the disciple that he was going to build his church upon. That is one theory, that is one argument, and that is one debate that theology is having. But there is, also another, there is also another one, and that is no. Some say no, he did not say upon Peter the disciple, the man. He meant upon Peter's words, upon Peter's words, his words, his confession. And it is that which I want us to look at today. Because as I said before, words are powerful. And one of the less obvious, or one of the less obvious lessons to learn from this passage of scripture is that words are so powerful that God can use them to build his kingdom upon. Words are so powerful that God can use them to build his church upon. Jesus replies, he says to him, upon this rock, upon these words, that is the one that is mostly acknowledged by all of theology that Jesus was saying. He said, upon your words, upon what you say, I will build my church. As God's image bearers, as those created in the image of God to be like God, are we aware of how powerful our words are? 
Our words are so powerful that if they are not guarded, they can destroy. But if we look after them, they can build. We are now entering, looking at the whole thing of discipleship, we are now entering, we are still now in the early stages of the year, and I don't think it will be, you know, it will be pushing it, talking about, talking about New Year's resolution. Probably one of the things that we could add onto our list of resolutions, which most of us, let's face it, hardly keep or we just barely make it to February with, but one of the, one of the things we can add to our list of resolutions, it could perhaps be, my words are powerful, and I should be careful how I use them. Maybe we should that add, add that into our New Year's resolutions. Words are powerful. Words are powerful, and we should be careful in how we go about using them. The Bible has got an awful lot to teach about this. The Bible has got a lot of a lot to tell us about the power of words and being very careful with how we use those words. Words carry a lot of power with them. It's how we express our emotions. It's how we are able to communicate some of our deepest feelings, some of our deepest going-ons of our hearts. Words, they express what is, in, what is happening on the internal. That is why God can use them to build his kingdom on. But that is why if words are not guarded, they can be a weapon that destroys or they can be a tool if used well that builds and they can be a tool or something that God builds his kingdom and his church upon. We have all had this quote. Uh, we have all this quote and I'm sure you will know it. It says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words won't hurt me. We've all had it, haven't we? That is not true. That's not true. What the Bible teaches is very contrary to that. I do not know who came up with that. I'm not sure who came up with that quote, but really they need to be spoken to. Because of that quote, it's sort of like, it's, it's, it's sort of like, a, what is it? It's very defensive. It's very defensive. Because of, let's face it, words are powerful. Words had. Words can destroy but a guy called Tim Chesson, he, he rectified this quote. He rectified this quote, and there it is there. It says, sticks and stones may break my bones, and words, but words can do permanent damage. Words can do permanent damage. And the Bible testifies to this. Because of in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, it says this. It says, the words of the reckless peers like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Words can destroy, but words can also build. Think about the last time when somebody gave you a really nice compliment and think about how it made you feel. Think about when somebody came and told you, do you know what, you, you, you look great. Or even if when they didn't have anything to say, they just told you, or they might have known something about you, but they came to you and they told you it was going to be okay. Just think about what those words did. Think about how God used their words 
to make your day a little bit a little bit better. Think about how God used their words when they were positive that made you to be able to look at a difficult day and say, do you know what? With that as my fuel, this day I can face because of somebody has given you a word. They've said something to you that uplifted you. They've said something to you when you were in a difficult spot and they are words. They ring so true to you because of they have taken their words and they have used their words as fuel for you to face what was otherwise going to be a difficult week, a difficult day, or a difficult day at work or even at home because of their words ring true. Their words were powerful. Their words lifted you up. The words of the wise bring healing. I want to go on to say the words of the wise, they give you fuel in your tank. They are a fuel in your tank. They propel you to go and do things that you would not have otherwise been able to do had not somebody told you that it was okay. You were doing absolutely well. Remember that the words, remember that words can either be a weapon or a tool. It all depends upon how you choose to use them. Because Jesus built Jesus, Jesus, the living Jesus himself, after Peter made a confession, after Peter's words, you are the Messiah, he says, upon these words, upon this rock, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. Is there an amen in the church? But then again, how many people do we know who are suffering as a result of a bad or a terrible remark? How many people do we know that are struggling with life as adults because of the words that were said to them as children? Because there are studies that prove that the words that we hear as children, they go on to affect us for the rest of our lives right into adulthood. There are some people that I know personally whose life are in chaos, whose life are a mess, simply because of they have built their own lives based on every single word that most of the adults have told them. You are not good enough. You will never be able to make it. You are, you, you are terrible. You are rubbish. You keep missing out. You keep doing that. You keep doing this. You keep be, and, and let me be, can I be a little bit more challenging even? How many marriages do we know that are suffering as a result of an unkind word from one person or another? They have just said something that the other person became those words and they build their very lives with that person based on all those negative and terrible words. How many people do we know whose lives are in chaos as a direct result of the words that they have heard? This is what the Bible is teaching. Be careful of your words because of your words are powerful. Words are so powerful that the Bible gives us a that the Bible gives us a vivid description of God creating the whole entire world using nothing but his words. Using nothing but his words. One of the most powerful descriptions of who Jesus is, one of the, most, one of the toughest pillars of our Christian faith is the words that are described in the book of John where the Bible says, and the word became, and the word became, and he dwelt amongst men. One of the most powerful descriptions we have of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, is that it was the Word becoming flesh 
we have got this image of God creating the whole world using nothing but the power of his words. So my question to you is this. If as God's image bearers, do we know how powerful our words are? Do we know how long our words can linger for? Do we know how much good and damage our words can do? Do we know that? In the book of Psalms 141 verse 3, it says this. David says, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. And Proverbs again uses the same language. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23, it uses the same language. It says, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. Or as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message translation of the Bible, he says, watch your words and hold your tongue. You will save yourself a lot of grief. And uh, Eugene Peterson has a way with words, isn't he? You will save yourself a lot of grief. Now, the word God is a very strong word. The word guard your words over and over again. When you read, when you read the when you read the old book, uh, the Old Testament books of wisdom. I'm talking uh, particularly Proverbs and Psalms. You will find that every single time when they speak about words, being careful about words, they use the word guard. The word guard is very very strong because of it expresses intentionality. It, expre- it expresses strong intentionality. It says, be careful. Watch. In other words, before they come out of your lips, consider the impact that they might have on the person to whom they are intended for. Sorry, what? Oh, I had my wife say the loudest amen there because of <laughs> she has told me over and over again to be very careful with my own words under those uh, joyful parts of marriage. So, <laughs> guard your words. The Bible says be intentional about your words. He says watch over, watch over the doors of my lips. Look at how vivid, look at how descriptive and emotive that language that they use there to describe words before they leave our mouths, how intentional we should be. In the book of Proverbs, this is Solomon and some of the, some of the you know, wise, wise dudes of the time. They are writing so carefully about words because of they understand the power that they have to build or to, to build or to destroy. He says, guard your words. Be intentional with your words. Consider the tone of your words. Consider the impact that they might have on the person to whom they are addressed to. Think about what you have to say. Guard them. Now, there is a quote. There is a quote that no one seems to know who to attribute it to. But most people attribute it to Suzanne Heschel, the, the Jewish philosopher and scholar. Susanna Heschel, some people attribute it to her. And it says this. This quote, it says this. He says, words create worlds. Words create worlds. In other words, as you speak, you are creating a world for somebody. And they are going to base their whole entire life on those words. If you speak, uh, my daughter is here, Zoe is here, the other one is here, and they will probably be reminding me of this talk for the next 10 years. But 
the words that we say and the words that we speak, especially to our own children, did you know that those words are a foundation on which they are going to lay the rest of their lives on? Did you know that some of the words that you say to some of the people that you love are the ways on which they are going to build the rest of their lives from that point onwards, moving on, upon? For some, the question in here is, if words create worlds, what kind of world are yours creating? If, and, and for the other people in the room is, if words create worlds, what kind of world have they created for you? And I feel that there's something, there's something to pray into on that second part of the question later on as we will be doing, you know, as we will be responding. Words create worlds. If they are creating worlds, what kind of world are yours creating? If they are creating world, what kind of words have they created for you? Now, as you've heard Phil said, I am from Guildford. That was a lie. I'm not from Guildford. Well, I am from, I live in Guildford. But I'm originally from South Africa. Born and raised in South Africa. Now, some of you will know that I was raised, you know, I was raised by my mom and dad. My mom and dad endured one of the worst times in South Africa. It was called the apartheid. If you do not know the apartheid, that is when the white people ruled with an iron fist. They really, really, you know, subjected to the black, to the black majority to some really horrendous situation. So, for example, we were moved, you know, my great-grandparents were moved to where they used to live, and they were all forced to go live in the township. So I was born and raised in a township where the white government allocated that space to my parents and other uh, and a lot of um, and a lot of black people. So my, my siblings and I were raised by parents who have experienced one of the hardest and one of the harshest times in South Africa. And words were often used by the then white South African government to control, subjugate, discriminate, and shape their lives as black people. Words were used to shape their lives, how they lived, who they lived with, and in some cases, how long they lived. Words were used very strongly to shape their very, very lives. The apartheid, the white South African apartheid government, they used words to control everything that they ever did. Where they went, when they went, with whom they can be with, what time to come back. Now, there is a picture here which I would like to show you. Now, that sign there that says Pretoria, that very sign which you can see right there, that is a sign that the South, the South African apartheid government, they put on the train station to say this is the way for the non-whites to be going through. My mom and my dad, for the most of their working lives, that is the sign they've had to walk under going to work that controlled their every every movement. The one that says Pretoria, which is where we lived. If we went to a beach to go somewhere to sit and to relax, we would, be, we would see signs like that as kids. And our parents, all the black people, would stay far, far, far away from the areas of the, of the beach that had words like just wide area. Before they could go onto a train station, they had to take a bus. And before they could take a bus, they will have to stand under a stop, a sign that says bus, bus stop for non-whites. And that's when they will wait for the bus. 
And then the other one there you can see says white people only. If they went somewhere where there was a picnic or where they could, where they were allowed to go when it, when they, when it was in curfew, when they were, everything that they did, what I'm trying to say is, was controlled by these words. Every time my mom and dad, when they went to work, to go work for the very people who either put those signs up there or believed these signs to be true about black people. They went to work for the very same people and they had to go through those things. Violence was often used to control them during the apartheid, during the segregation time, but nothing was as powerful as the words that they had seen. They were controlled by, in fact, they were not controlled by the signs, they were controlled by the signs on which those words are written. Those words control their every move. They could not be in town at the, after a certain time. They could not be in certain areas at a certain time because of they had words telling them. These words, if you look at them carefully, what they are saying is, is the one part of society saying, we are better than you, you are inferior, and we are superior than you. So because of those words that they had seen all their lives, they built their whole lives around those words. And you can imagine... They begin to believe these ways. They believe to be everything that they do like robots. They do it simply because of they have a sign, which is words that tells them what to do. So they were so, they were, their humanity, their dignity, their value as human being was taken away simply by people who thought they were better than them. And to control them and to keep them in that state, in the state of mind of control is that they used words like this one to say, you are inferior and we are superior. We are so superior than you, we're going to create a bus stop for you, and there's going to be words that tell you where to go. And because of the words affected them so, them so much, we were raised by parents who were traumatized, who were struggling and suffering from words, from words that were used to control them. Today, South Africa is a nation that is still trying to heal and recover from those words. The signs are long gone. The signs have gone many, many years ago, but the pain and the sting of those words still lingers. The sting and the pain and the hurt of these words still, to some of them, they still remain a major issue, even though the signs are gone. Why? Because of words are powerful. And then if we are not careful with them, if we are not careful with them, they can and they will destroy lives and they take an awful long time to heal from. The theologian, I don't know if you know this, but there's a theologian, one of my favorite theologians is a guy called William Buckley. And um, he wrote a commentary to the he wrote a commentary to the uh, the commentary book about the letters of Peter and James. And in it, when he addresses the whole subject of words, he says this. And I want you to listen to these words carefully. He says there is no sin in which it is easier to fall, and none which has graver consequences than the sin that is the result of something uttered. I'm going to read that again. Please hear it. There is no sin into which it is easier to fall. 
and none which has graver consequences than the sin that is the result of something uttered. Words are powerful. I encourage you strongly. I encourage you strongly that you would make Psalms 141 verse 3 your prayer. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, and watch over the doors of my lips. Now, I'm not saying here what I'm saying is I am not saying here that we should be afraid to address things that needs addressing. What needs to be addressed must be addressed. But how we go about addressing it is just as important as addressing it in the first place. Because of what we say can affect people, not just about the issue that we want to address, but it could, address, it could affect them for the rest of their lives. Or in the words of my dear beloved wife, Anne, she always says to me, it's not that you said what you said, it's how you said it which did not sit with me very well. I have found the Lord convict me more times, not about what I said, but how I said it. I have seen the Lord convict me many times. Many, many, many times. Not about what I say, because of most of the time some things need to be said, but it's how I say them, because of how I say them is how people are going to remember it for a very, very, very long time. Words are powerful. Choose them wisely. Or in the words of Jean last night, everybody needs a word. Everybody needs a word. And not, not just in kind words. Words that build. Words that, words that affirm. Words that just brings God out of you. Words that when they find you at your lowest, they are just fuel in your tank for you to face the next day, the next year, and so on and on and on and on. Because of, let me tell you something, and I want to finish with this. Words are a hot issue. Words are a hot issue. What we say to other people is us conveying what is happening on the inside about that person. Because of if I begin to talk to you about something and how I feel, I am basically trying to give you my heart by just saying words. And, I, and, and, and we know this is true because of, uh, because of here, here, here is what Jesus said. Here is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 verse 45. Uh, sorry, no, 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 not that. He said, he said this, I think it is, it's in the book of Luke. He says, um, yeah, yeah, Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He says, for a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For, and this is the clincher, he says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. That is why words are so powerful. Because of you are not only just talking to somebody, but you are expressing how you truly feel about them from the very depths of your own heart. That is why it is more important that as they exit your mouth, words should, have, should carry fuel with them that will lift somebody. Because of otherwise, the opposite of that, it is just can be used as a hammer that destroys can be used as a hammer that destroys. And listen to what Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23, it says, it, with coming out of the point that words are a hard issue, it says this, it says, above all else, above all else, having said everything I've said, above all else, guard your hearts for everything you do flows from it.
guard your hearts. Because you see, if you look after your heart, then your words will look after themselves. If you look after your heart, then your words will look after themselves. Your words will build others to go strive. And then as, as, you, as, you, speak, as you speak words that build other people, God is going to take your words and do what he did with Peter's words in the passage where we have read. He's going to take your words and use them to build his kingdom in somebody else's life. He's going to be use it to build something meaningful and significant in somebody else's life. If you speak how Zoe close your ears on this one? If you use good words to your kids all the time, God is going to use those words to build his kingdom upon. And that way, and that way, and that way, we won't have traumatized adults if we look after our own words. Now, I want to conclude with a quote. I don't know if any of you know this. Know this book called A World According to Mr. Rogers. There's a book called The World According to Mr. Rogers. Now, Mr. Rogers, he was this American icon known for kindness and known for all of those things. And he was a very good man. He, was, he did a lot of television programs and everything. And in his book, A World According to Mr. Rogers, he, he, says, he says this. He says, and this is, this is to confirm what Gene said to me. I had written this before Gene had said it to me. He says, imagine what our real neighbors would be like if each of us offered, as a matter of course, just one kind word to another person. There have been so many stories about the lack of courtesy, the impatience of today's world, road rage, even restaurant rage. Sometimes all it takes is one kind word to nourish another person. All it takes is one kind word to nourish another person. Can I ask the band to come up? Can I ask the rest of us just to close our eyes for a minute? Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will be able to prevail against it. Earlier on, as I, before I started speaking, I said, there will be some in the room to whom if words create worlds, the question is going to be, what kind of world are my words going to create as we enter into this new year? And for the other part of this question is, if words create worlds, what kind of world have words created for you? What kind of words that when you think about, they take you into a dark place? What kind of words that when you think about, they take you into a place in your heart where you do not want to go into? What kind of words do you remember hearing that puts you in that place? Or what kind of words do you remember saying that put you in another words. Maybe there are words you have said and you now realize that by saying those words, you were creating somebody else's world. You were shaping somebody else's world. What kind of words when you think about ring true to you and they take you to a place where you feel God convicting you of, where you feel God is really challenging you on? 
I know God is challenging me every minute of every day about how I use my words, especially to the people I love. So my question is, what kind of world have words created for you? Or what kind of world have words created?